the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on this Wednesday. It's the seventh morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Let's make it a good day. Let's make it an important day. Let's make it a productive day. We have a lot of things that we do need to uh, work on this morning. Coming up on the program, we're going to be talking to our friend Jonathan Broadbent. It has been just a little while since we have talked to Jonathan, uh, who, of course, looks out for kids, along with a host of other very dedicated people with Protect Ohio's children. He is also going to educate us this morning on ESG and unwoke investing. In other words, do you know where your money goes if you've got money in play, whether it be via an IRA, whether it be you know uh, mutual funds, whether you have uh, whether you have uh, CDs, if you don't know where your money is going, you should because it is being used oftentimes to support organizations that may be diametrically opposed to virtually everything you stand for, including pure, unadulterated wokeism. 
And Jonathan has been following this and studying this and presenting on this for some time now. And he's going to be joining us here uh, at the bottom of the next hour at 1035 this morning. Very much looking forward to being educated by Jonathan about ESG investing, woke investing. And then at 1110, it is Wednesday, and that means our regular Wednesday commentator, the editor and the founder of the Ohio Press Network, Jack Windsor, will be joining us to talk about a number of things, including whether or not Bob Paduchik, the should-be outgoing uh, chairman of the Ohio Republican Party is going to be successful in holding off the vote to replace him until January. He is trying every corrupt trick in the book that only a snake like Bob Paducha can possibly try in order to hold on to power just a little bit longer so he can try to twist a few arms, dig up enough dirt, find some way to convince members of the ORP who would be voting in this to keep him in place. This vote is supposed to happen immediately, and he's working very, very hard to try to delay it. So we're going to talk to uh, Jack Windsor about that, among other things. We're also going to talk to Jack, by the way, about Title IX. uh, um, Public comments are open now. If you don't know about this, public comments are open on changes to Title IX. But that that, uh, deadline is coming very, very quickly, the end of the public comment period. The... um, uh, the rule is that there is 60 days after the announcement of proposed changes uh, to this particular uh, law, Title IX, 60 days of public comment. The administration is required, is bound, to review all public comments on these types of things, which is extraordinary, which makes it extraordinarily important that everyone get out there and make multiple public comments before they change Title IX to include, well, essentially laws that would force your little kids, your, your preteen and teenage daughters, um, to share locker rooms and showers, changing areas, restrooms with biological males. It is that important. Title IX is supposed to protect people against discrimination uh, on the basis of sex. And now they're going to try to extend that and expand that into, of course, the trans movement. It's going to put people in serious jeopardy. So, um, yeah, you've got a very limited amount of time now. I believe it's uh, going to be September 23rd, I want to say. Uh, that the public comment period is over, but that's why we're going to talk, talk to Jack. He's following this very, very closely. You're going to need to make comments. You're going to need to express your outrage and your complete disagreement with this proposed change to Title IX. So those are our two guests today. We're going to talk to uh, Jonathan Broadbent at 1035 and Jack Windsor at 1110. You know what that means for you between now and then? That's a full uh, hour and a half of open phone lines for you. Yes, I do have a few things that I want to share and a few audio clips that we're going to talk about or we're going to listen to rather as well, but uh, you can certainly be a part of the conversation. Dial now or whenever you're ready at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. That's 888-281-1110. And I look forward to hearing from you. Now, having said all of that, what do you say we get started by rising? As we always do. Patriots, please stand where you may be. Uh, if people are looking at you and think it's funny that you're putting your hand on your heart and saying a pledge of allegiance, if you're in a public place, the hell with them. The hell with them. Be proud of who you are and what you're doing. Face a flag if you have one nearby. If you don't, that's all right. And if you're driving, you don't have to stand, but go and put your hand over your heart and join us for our pledge anyway. If you are a believer in Bidenomics, if you are a believer in Bidenflation, and if you are a believer in dividing the country 
according to who agrees with the president and who doesn't, labeling half of the country domestic terrorists or enemies of the state. Well, then you have no earthly idea what that flag represents anyway. You are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback, your favorite ex-WNBA player now serving a nine-year Russian prison sentence, and your favorite ex-soccer player, pink-haired soccer player, who simply abhors and reviles this country. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right 14 minutes after the hour of nine o'clock a lot of things to dive into this morning and again I welcome your thoughts and I welcome your questions I'm going to start out with what I it's not the same thing I started out with yesterday Uh, but it's it's related because I want to talk just for a moment more about uh, hypocrisy I told you yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yeah, I believe it was, we're talking about the number one problem that people who don't like Democrats have with Democrats. And it isn't their positions on you know, foreign policy, on econ- the economy, uh, on inflation or, or the border or anything. It's not like a specific political issue upon which you know, they, they rest their, uh, you know, their positions. Um, it's, it's the fact that whatever their positions are, they don't stand by them, and they project to others. In other words, it's their hypocrisy. They project their own failings on other people, on particularly Republicans. And it's hypocrisy. And this is one of those cases that just simply needs to be discussed as such. Former presidential candidate, former senator, former secretary of state, Hillary Clinton is is just... I, I don't know if she's going as senile as Biden or if she is just flat out um, the biggest liar that, that, that has ever served in, in, in American politics and in the American federal government. I don't know if it's if she's losing her mind or if she just cannot help being dishonest. But she's being blasted online for what is being called astonishingly false claims um, that she made in a Twitter thread last night, claiming that those who criticize her for having classified emails in order to defend or justify Donald Trump, that's, who is, of course, being investigated for having classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate, she claims that those people are completely misguided and completely uh, wrong, claiming she never, ever had classified emails. Now, again, I'm not saying we need to relitigate everything that happened with Hillary Clinton. We know what happened. James Comey told us what happened. James Comey spent 20 minutes telling the American people about all of the classified documents and top secret documents that were found on her very, very unprotected private server. In other words, exposed to any host of foreign hackers. So we know what happened, and I don't feel like relitigating the entire thing. I'm only bringing this up because it's news this morning because of what Hillary Clinton wrote last night. In a lengthy Twitter thread, 
she called comparisons that have been made between her email scandal with classified documentation and former President Trump's classified documents. She is claiming that there's, there, there, there's no similarities at all because she said she never had any. Quote, I can't believe we're still talking about this, but my emails... As Trump's problems continue to mount, the right is trying to make this about me again. There's even a Clinton standard. The fact that the fact is that I had zero emails that were classified. She tweeted, Comey admitted he was wrong after he claimed I had classified emails. Trump's own State Department under two different secretaries found I had no classified emails. That's right. Zero, she tweeted. By contrast, Trump has hundreds of documents clearly marked classified, and the investigation just started. She then concluded, I'm more tired of talking about this than anyone, but here we are. Now, I, I'm, I join her in that. It may be the first time I've ever agreed with Hillary Clinton on anything. I join her on this. I am tired of talking about this nonsense. But given the fact that former President Trump, who could very well be the Republican nominee in 2024, and thus a political rival of the sitting president, who absolutely greenlit this FBI and DOJ investigation of Trump, of his uh, um, uh, home in Mar-a-Lago, greenlit the raid, because they're doing this, we have to go back here, particularly in response to Hillary Clinton, who's now claiming in revisionist history that is just jaw-dropping, that she that that she did not have any classified emails we do need to respond to that several um twitter users including some pretty prominent people including the spectator stephen miller said literally a lie we're never escaping 2016 as long as you know this and are prepared journalist ben um uh ben leo wrote the fact is that i had zero emails that were classified is because you deleted them all. Washington Times columnist Tim Young, don't wait up for this complete lie to be fact-checked, and that's true. The fact-checkers will never touch anything that a Clinton says. Reason Associate Editor Christian uh, Britsky wrote that unless there's some hyper-technical distinction I'm missing here, this is just not true. And Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton said, fact-check, astonishingly false. Nobody knows what the hell she's talking about when she says Comey admitted that she had zero emails. Because what we actually did get from James Comey in very minute detail is that they found 81 email chains containing approximately 193 individual emails that were classified from the confidential to top secret levels at the time. And those are only the ones that they were able to recover from the destroyed, uh, from the destroyed um, uh, servers and cell phones. If you recall, she bleached bit cleaned and, and thus destroyed all of the content uh, that were on her private servers. And then she had her cell phones, which would have contained the same, smashed with sledgehammers. Now, here she is four years later trying to tell us that she never had any classified emails and James Comey admitted as much? Wait, what? 
If there is a double standard in play anywhere, it is in play here. And the reality is that Hillary Clinton was far more complicit in potentially exposing top-secret, classified information to foreign actors, bad actors, than Donald Trump ever could have been, considering his were paper copies in boxes in his locked storage facility at Mar-a-Lago, while hers were on an unsecured, non-government, private email server that was kept in her Chappaqua home. So I don't care to relitigate anything and everything that Hillary Clinton did either. I really don't. I'm, I'm over it. I'm over her. I am glad, by the way, she made an acknowledgement. She literally said she is not running for president. She, she finally just kind of came, you know, put an end to all of this, saying, you know, whether it's Joe Biden or somebody else, it's not going to, excuse me, it's not going to be her, but she just hopes that it's somebody uh, who believes in the rule of law, which is astonishing, by the way, given her, her history. But she said basically anybody but Donald Trump. Uh, he needs to, if he is the nominee, he needs to be soundly defeated. But he, she said, hopefully uh, Republicans won't make that mistake and actually nominate him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, and people need to understand this, that Hillary Clinton is now still, and considering she still holds a very favorable position within the Democrat Party, Hillary Clinton is still the most bald-faced, um, astonishing, unimaginable liar I think ever in the history of American politics. I said that when she ran. I said that when she was Secretary of State. I said that when she lied about Benghazi. I said that when she lied about uh, landing in Bosnia under sniper fire and she had to duck and run because she was being shot at. All of the lies that Hillary Clinton has told, I mean, she doesn't tell small lies. She tells whoppers. And again, all of this has been put to bed, but she raised it again last night by putting out this tweet storm that absolutely needs to be responded to. She and they, their hypocrisy, again, is really, really hard to comprehend. Their hypocrisy and their dishonesty. But they want to sit here and call for Donald Trump to be locked up for classified documents at Mar-a-Lago when she literally um, was 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 uh, particularly identified by the FBI Director James Comey as having hundreds of classified all the way up to the level of top-secret, eyes-only documentation on her server, the same server that she tried to wipe clean with bleach bit. So it's a, it's a big deal. She continues to shamelessly lie, and that's the reason why. Well, let me rephrase. That is a reason why anybody who may, may be a little bit wary, concerned, whatever you want to call it, about Donald Trump's legal problems right now over the these uh, classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. If anybody is thinking about maybe I should pull my support for President Trump just a little bit because of this, I ask you to reconsider. Now, I'm not telling you vote for Donald Trump in the primaries. I happen to support Ron DeSantis at this moment in time. But I will tell you this, President Trump deserves the benefit of the doubt if the criticism is coming from the person who is the OG of the taking home classified in one form or another and top secret documentation who is now claiming that none of that is true. I will not allow hypocrisy to stand. It's the one thing that I think drives me most nuts, just like a lot of people who were surveyed did about what they least like about Democrats. Um, I, 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 just, I cannot tolerate hypocrisy. I can disagree with you, and we can have a disagreement on whether or not the border should be open or closed, about whether or not the jails should be emptied and there should be cash bail or no cash. We can disagree on all of the issues politically. We can talk about higher taxes versus lower taxes. doesn't matter. We can disagree, and that can be fine. 
What I cannot tolerate, what I cannot just say, well, we disagree on, is when the hypocrisy flies as much as it does in the Hillary Clinton case and others in the Democrat Party. Okay, it's 926. We'll take a time out of here. We'll get to our news. We'll come back and take some phone calls at 216-901-0945, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 937, we continue. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday morning. So I got a text message during the break from uh, our good friend Peter Kersenow, who uh, sent me a link to his article and corrected me when I said September 23rd. It is much sooner than that, the deadline for public comment to be submitted on the issue of Title IX changes, proposed Title IX changes. That deadline is just five days away. It's September 12th. September 12th. Pete wrote a piece on the 1st, so six days ago, headlined, Anatomical Boys Showering with Anatomical Girls. It has been the fantasy of tens of millions of American schoolboys since the beginning of public education, and it's about to be commonplace. The Biden Department of Education issued a notice of proposed rulemaking on July 12th, which rule would compel schools that receive federal funding, in other words, all of them, to assign anatomical and chromosomal boys who identify as girls to the bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers reserved for actual girls. The Obama, what could possibly go wrong? The Obama administration tried the same thing in 2016 by issuing a guidance letter that was quickly withdrawn, but the Biden administration's proposed regulation is poised to be enacted after the notice and comment period closes on September 12th. The proposed regulation is inconsistent with Title IX and its regulations, which unequivocally permit schools to have separate bathrooms, showers, etc. by sex. Since the relevant statute permits schools to have separate bathrooms based on sex, a regulation cannot override it, although that fact won't likely deter deter the Biden uh, Education Department from putting a school through administrative hell and withdrawing funding for failing to comply with the regulation. If you wish to comment on the proposed rule, there's a link, and I'm going to post it on alwaysright.us, because Pete offers it up in his article, Um, and Jack Windsor and I are going to talk about this in much more depth at 1110 this morning, but I'm going to have a link there, and you should comment, and you should make it very, very clear to the education department that you do not want boys and girls to be forced into showers and shower rooms and changing rooms together. This is so much bigger than what some on the left just like to refer to as bathroom bills. This is so much bigger than that. And and the reason why is they often say, well, I mean, look, my goodness, what's the difference? They're in stalls. They can't see each other anyway. First of all, no, they're not. Not in all cases, number one. And number two, it's not just about bathrooms. It is, as we say, shower rooms, um, changing rooms, locker rooms, etc. places where people expect privacy. And when they're in a period or in a state of undress, they are indeed with people who are like them, the same sex. It has always been this way. And to change this now for all kinds of political and dare I say reasons of perversion, which is exactly what it is, 
not to mention attention getting and attention whoring to to allow all of these things to happen now um it just flies in the face of everything that again it's it's kind of a, the the bedrock foundation of this country the bedrock foundation of this country is being challenged right now every single day by the trans agenda by the destruction of the nuclear family agenda and so forth. It's all a great big attempt to uh, break down what was built in order to rebuild in a Marxist fashion. This is exactly, they've made no bones about it. Anyway, Pete wraps up. Cynics would be correct in concluding that comments in opposition, no matter how plentiful and logical, will likely have little effect on the administration's determination to enact the regulation. As someone who has litigated other federal, federal regulations, however, I found that such comments can be enormously helpful in challenging a rule in court. So submit those comments. And again, I will put that up there uh, at the top of the next hour. I'll put that link right there on the page for you at alwayswrite.us. You can find it very, very easily. All right. Now, having said all of that, I want to go to the phones. Uh, 216-901-0945, Let's go to BJ, who is in North Olmsted. Hey, BJ, go right ahead. Thank you, Bob. The seeds of the 1960 have grown into the trees of decadence of the year of the 2022 20, year, and we have to be aware of that. Decadence is what this administration has been pushing at every level. And when I say decadence. It's that when you're not willing to tell the truth, what isn't decadent? And and that's the major problem, is the truth is offensive to the, to the political people that are trying to ruin this country, and we must become more and more aware of it. We have more seniors over the age of 65 than uh, we've ever had in, in, in any given time, I believe. And these are people that have had the experience from the 60s in this time, and they are very bewildered. I go to the senior centers, and I visit, and I've started some programs and a few of them. But the bewilderment of the senior centers which has taken place in the, in the world today is all because of politics. that has nothing to do with their faith or their belief or religion. It has to do with the decadence of bringing this country down with a negative attitude of how bad the American people are. A president called people to make America great are evil people. They're dangerous. If that's not decadence, I don't know what is. If that's not lying lying to the public, I don't know what is. But we have a lying administration and a lying political system going on. And I, God willing, you young people are going to be strong enough to take it on and, and, and fight for the freedom that we want for our future younger generations and i thank you for listening in the time bob well i appreciate the call as always and your passion and your dedication to uh, the future and i really do mean that too just i don't want to make a big deal out of it but you know you get people in bj's generation and he's a senior and um i think he said he's he might be 90 or ish anyway you get people in that generation oftentimes you know you you, you kind of just see people saying well I'm glad I'm not going to be around to see what this whole thing turns into. And I hear that from people much younger than him, by the way. I'm going to be gone. Thank goodness I'm not going to have to deal with this, uh, you know, with this mess. Um, I'm always very, very appreciative and very, very, um, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually a little bit um, jealous of their, of their, uh, of their mindset. Uh, I hope I can be that way when I get to be that age. I hope that I am just as concerned about the future generations as the ones uh, in the past. I hope when my time on earth is nearing its end, whenever that may be, that I'm able to um, 
uh, to have the same kind of mindset that BJ does. I just envy that of in him uh, and a lot of other people, and uh, and I concur. And I hope we do in the younger generations start to uh, uh, pass along some of that. So thank you, BJ. I appreciate that. Okay, I want to uh, get into a couple of other things. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I want to hit this real quick because I talked about it in some depth yesterday. The southern border is 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 literally, well, non-existent. I think it's fair to say. The last time uh, Kamala Harris talked about it or addressed it, I can't even remember. It has been that many months. She was named the border czar. Joe Brandon literally tabbed her and said, you will be my point person on the border. She went down to not even one of the high traffic uh, areas of the southern border. She went to, I believe it was El Paso, and she stayed a a couple of miles away from the border so she could see nothing. Um, and called that, you know, her trip. Uh, what her, what her, uh, top priority, she said, is, is going to the other countries, you know, the Northern Triangle countries to get to the root cause of why people want to leave there and why they want to come here. Uh, in other words, we're going to ignore the problem at the border. We're going to completely ignore it, pretend we're doing investigations, but those are absolutely pointless. I bring that up to bring this up. Lori Lightfoot, and I talked about this in depth, some depth yesterday. Lori Lightfoot is the mayor of Chicago, and the the mayor of Chicago is livid with the governor of Texas. Why? Because the governor of Texas dares to put people voluntarily who cross the border illegally and then make phony claims of asylum. Um. He puts them on buses voluntarily if they choose to go and sends them to sanctuary cities, you know, places like Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, town. She was livid, and we played her clip yesterday. I played it for Peter Kirsten, ironically, and, and, and we literally heard her being so upset, claiming that uh, Governor Abbott is, is creating a humanitarian crisis. We're supposed to welcome these migrants in. We're supposed to welcome them with open arms. These are people who are fleeing oppression and fleeing struggles in other countries and so forth, and we're supposed to be welcoming of them, and he keeps passing them on up to us. In other words... Somebody else has to be welcoming of them. Somebody else has to open their arms, but get them the hell out of Chicago. That was pretty much her message, and that's not a uh, that that's not a characterization. That's literally what she said. She's livid. Said that he's racist and that he's not a true Christian because he is uh, passing these people on from Texas up to her city. So rather than her opening her arms and saying, welcome, we got you, we will absolutely, as a sanctuary city, take care of you, provide for you, et cetera, et cetera, calling him un-American and everything else, she is trying to um, uh, guilt him and publicly shame him into stopping the busloads from coming to Chicago. But now, here's the update on the story, why I'm bringing it back up today. It's worse than that now. Now, she is literally going to Washington, D.C. to try to stop it. She made the announcement yesterday. She's not happy with busloads of illegal immigrants coming to her city by way of Texas, saying she would love to have a conversation with Greg Abbott, but instead she's going to Washington, D.C. to try to stop this from being allowed um, to continue. Mary Lightfoot, have you or anyone in your office spoken with Governor Abbott or anyone in his office since this started in an attempt to coordinate? And have there been any talks with federal officials about what's been going on? 
Um, I'll take the second part of your question. Yeah, we, we talk with our federal partners on a regular basis, um, individually, um, through briefings, um, and not only our uh, federal legislative partners, but um, we have been talking to folks um, at the White House, and I'm going to Washington later this week and going to be sitting down with some of the folks to describe for them uh, what the conditions are on the ground here in Chicago, but also make sure that federal help is coming, um, not just to Chicago, but um, in all the cities and states that um, are welcoming uh, cities and states to make sure that we've got the resources uh, that we need. Um, but I think the level of, of understanding and collaboration is quite good. I'd love to have a conversation with Governor Abbott. I'd have a long list of things on my agenda, but I've been speaking, obviously, um, to him publicly about let's just treat each other with respect. Let's treat the people um, who are traveling across our country uh, with respect um, and look for an opportunity uh, to have uh, more dialogue. I, I won't say more. have some dialogue. Um. I wonder what that looks like. Anybody know what that looks like, treating each other with respect publicly? That, what does that look like? Well, I don't think this is what we stand for. I think it's decidedly unpatriotic and un-American. I understand the pressures uh, that the people of Texas and some of the other border states are under. We see that on a daily basis. But the thing to do is not this. This is creating a human crisis. And treating people without dignity, without respect. Un-American and unpatriotic, she called Governor Greg Abbott. As she says, we should treat each other with respect. Un-American and unpatriotic. And, and did I mention that she questioned his faith as well? Uh, yeah. I think it's decidedly unpatriotic and un-American. Um, I understand the pressures uh, that the people of Texas and some of the other border states are under. We see that on a daily basis. But the thing to do is not this. This is creating a human crisis. And treating people without dignity, without respect, it's not what we are as Americans. And it's, frankly, another demonstration of unpatriotic um, conduct on the part of the governor of Texas. Can you hear all of the respect there in her voice? We can and must do better as Americans. The rest of the world is watching us and how we're treating these people who are coming to our country because they're fleeing violence. They're fleeing a lack of economic opportunity. They were fleeing other kinds of persecution. This is what our country has been about. We open up our arms and we welcome those who have um, struggled to find a decent quality of life elsewhere. And the way that we welcome them is not what the governor of Texas is doing. It is absolutely un-American. And I urge him. He professes to be a Christian. This is not the Christianity and the teachings of the Bible that I know. I apologize for the, the, the laughter. <clears throat> it's, I, every time I hear it, just like I did when I talked to Pete about this yesterday, we agree. The, the rank hypocrisy of the modern American Democrat is the most disgusting attribute that they have i mean seriously it's the most reprehensible thing that you can say she literally said greg abbott isn't being welcoming enough greg abbott isn't opening his arms and welcoming these people he's sending them to me and i don't want them here (laughs) she's going to dc to stop it she's going to dc to say we need help in chicago because abbott is sending illegal aliens up here In other words, you open your arms to them in Texas and leave us here in Illinois the hell alone. This is what Lori Lightfoot is saying. This is what the Democrats do. 
oh my gosh, the world is watching, and they're trying to see, these people are fleeing persecution, and they're seeking economic opportunities and so forth. We're supposed to welcome them with open arms. I'm going to D.C. To DC now to make sure that they don't come to my city. How can anybody say those things publicly, and why is nobody in the media other than me talking about it? I watch Tucker, I watch Hannity, I listen to national programs on Salem, I, I bop around and find other people talking about you know, issues involving immigration. Nobody else is pointing out the rank hypocrisy of these things. Yeah, we hear Eric Adams in New York City, and we hear Muriel Bowser in Washington, D.C., and we hear Kenny and others in Philadelphia and other places where these uh, the migrants are being shipped, and they're complaining, but, but the... Nobody is is paying attention to the fact that they are literally saying, we support illegal immigration as long as somebody else is receiving them. We support asylum seekers as long as they're not seeking asylum in my city. Why is nobody calling, why are no reporters at those press gatherings, the one that she's speaking at right now? Why, or, you know, in in this clip from yesterday, why is nobody bringing that up? Mayor, aren't you being unpatriotic, un-American, and unchristian as you just described Greg Abbott by saying you don't want those people in Chicago? That's the downside. I'll give you the upside. The upside is Abbott's plan is working. If she goes to Washington, D.C., which is what that press conference was about, to complain and to say, we have to stop this, there's too many of them coming up into my city, then that is one small step toward other mayors and maybe other governors from also going to D.C. and saying, y'all got to do something. This isn't a game anymore. Two and a half million have crossed since Biden took office. I believe that was the latest number. It might be higher. I could be wrong. But at least two and a half million have crossed, and those are the ones that we know about. Godaways are uncounted. Godaways are uncounted. And they're coming up here, and they're coming into the border states, particularly Texas, and they're taking over vast regions of that state to the point where the resources of law enforcement, not to mention the humanitarian resource, the agencies that provide assistance to people, they're overwhelmed, so Greg Abbott is saying, let's let other states have a taste of this. And if, if that leads to mayors and governors going to D.C. and saying, we can't do this anymore, even Democrats going to, to talk to Biden or somebody in the let's go Brandon administration and saying, you've got to put a stop to this because now it's not just Texas being overrun, it's Chicago, it's New York, it's Washington, it's Philly, it's L.A., it's whatever then then the the job is being done then victory is at hand or at least we are on the road to it a long road to it and what greg abbott is doing is bearing fruit but the hypocrisy is something we simply cannot ignore 955 right back on always right radio am 1420 the answer you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 
Seven minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk to Jonathan Broadbent, Protect Ohio Children. He is working very, very hard to alert people to the dangers of woke investing through ESG. And uh, he's going to talk, talk to us about unwoke investing and how you can change where your money is going if you are indeed invested in the markets, either by way of um, CDs or by IRAs or 401Ks or whatever the case might be, mutual funds. So we're going to talk to Jonathan. It's a very, very important issue that you may not even know anything about. I didn't know much about it at all until Jonathan. Um, he's been covering, covering this very much on social media uh, and in other places. So I'm very much looking forward to learning more about him, about that through him and uh, sharing that with you. So that's coming up at 1035. At 1110, we're going to talk more <clears throat> about this Title IX situation with our friend Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network. So during the break, I took the time to not only put the um, link to the public comment uh, for Title IX changes to the, on the webpage, which is alwaysright.us, um, I also took that time to make my own comment. Um, so right now, if you go to alwaysright.us, Top left-hand side of the page, you're going to see the top video there is Governor Ron DeSantis in 2024. You heard me right. That's what I'm calling Governor Ron DeSantis now. Governor Ron DeSantis, in my mind, is Governor Ron DeSantis. He is the guy, I believe, who can save our America First movement in 2024. I am not convinced President Trump can do that uh, for a variety of reasons, many of which, most of which, are not his fault. But it's the reality of the situation. Talk more about that later. But there's a great ad that Governor Ron DeSantis has now for uh, re-election as Florida governor in November. Uh, but, of course, I want him to abandon that post and become the president in 2024. So there's a great video there. But right beneath that, you'll see the headline from the show. And I put all things there, including guests, links to their articles, links to their stories, links to the audio clips that we have had with them on the program. And you'll see right underneath from the show, public comment link. Tell Biden and the leftists in D.C. you do not want boys and girls sharing showers and changing rooms in schools. Say no to changes to Title IX. So I went ahead and followed my own advice, and I followed my own link. Uh, or not my link, actually. Peter Kirsten now shared the link with me. Uh, public comment period ends on September 12th. It's extraordinarily important that you make these public comments. They have to, by law, consider all of them. That doesn't mean we will win, but it can delay things um, and and perhaps maybe force them to reconsider from a political standpoint the wisdom if they get millions and millions of Americans who are opposed to changes to Title IX. It might make them, from a political standpoint, think, hmm, maybe we should go back and revise our revisions because guess what? They're going to kill us for this at the polls. They're going to kill us for this uh, you know, in future elections. That's the goal here. Make them question it all. Public comment period ends in five days. Submit your comments. So literally, just during the last commercial break, here's what I wrote on the regulations.gov, your voice in federal decision-making page that I, that I linked on, on my webpage. I don't mind reading this comment to you, and I just did it. Top of the top of mind. I didn't do any research for it. Here's what I wrote. The federal government must not adopt the proposed changes to Title IX. The goal of Title IX was to protect girls from discrimination on the basis of their sex and to provide equal access and opportunity for them. The proposed changes to Title IX would do the exact opposite. 
It would rob the girls of that protection, forcing them to surrender the privacy and accommodations that have been provided for them for 50 years. It will also put girls in jeopardy as cases of sexual assault and harassment on the part of biological males who, quote, identify, end quote, as females in order to gain access to these private facilities continue to rise. Our daughters deserve the protection that Title IX has given them, and they should not be put in harm's way simply to appease a growing political movement based upon nothing but left-wing ideology and attention-getting Gen Z students who think it's trendy and cool to pretend to be something they are not. Do not let this dangerous trans movement put our girls in jeopardy. There are only two genders in human biology, and they are distinct and different. There is no third option. There are no half-boy, half-girl combinations and no boy-girl dualities, save for those with serious psychological disorders. And those serious psychological disorders deserve to be treated, not normalized at the expense of our, child, extent, expense of our children. Do not change Title IX. That's as far as I got before the microphone came back on and we had to start the segment. I'll leave it there. I don't think I can say much more. Now I've got to put uh, select a comment or a comment category, put in my email address. Uh, then you have to choose uh, one of the one of the three. You're an individual, an organization, or if you wish to remain anonymous, you can do that too. Uh, they do not want your name, by the way. They do not want your name. They just want to know if you're an individual, um, uh, if you're an organization, or if you are. You don't want to announce either one, but they do not want your name. They do want your email address, and that's okay for me anyway. You can also attach files, drop files there in support of your argument. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want millions of Americans to do what I just did, type something out in opposition or title line, make them consider all of it. If millions of us come together and make it very, very clear that we will not support um, this, this abuse, abuse of Title IX protections, which is exactly what it is, then maybe, again, maybe they won't, you know, abandon the changes altogether, but maybe they'll revise the revisions, and maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll, th- they'll think twice before they go ahead and go forward with this. Given the fact that uh, obviously millions of Americans are going to express their dissatisfaction, this could hurt them very, very seriously when it comes to fu- the current, the upcoming, and future elections. And I think that's uh, I think that's worth our time. So go ahead and do that at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. I think it is worth our time. All right, having said that, I want to move on just a little bit now and uh, open up the phone lines at 216-901-0945. This is a good time for you to join. We're going to be very busy with guests coming up at 1035 and at 1110, so this is a good time for you to get in, but you got to dial right now. As I remind you of the, mo- you know, it's funny, I brought up the hypocrisy of the modern American Democrat in the last segment, and now I'll come back to the stupidity of the modern American Democrat, this time by way of the Biden Energy Secretary. The Biden Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, yesterday made public statements about how we should all desire to be like California when it comes to climate change policies, when it comes to green energy. She literally said, California is in the lead on energy, and we should all follow. It's an astounding thing to hear or to, to, uh, to, to learn that she said Given this story, 
from the California uh, California uh, television station. California is in the lead, can show the rest of the nation how it is done. Warning just coming in from CalISO, who runs the power grid in the state. They say they expect demand for electricity to outpace supply tomorrow. And they say that means rolling blackouts are likely. They've issued a flex alert from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. tomorrow night. <laughs> Higher, avoid using major appliances and turn off all unnecessary lights. Oh, I, you know, I, you can't write this. You can't imagine this. You can't, you, you can't fathom it. I mean, honestly, you, you, California's in the lead on energy. They can show the rest of the nation how it is done, Jennifer Granholm said. And then literally that day, blackouts expected throughout California. Set your thermostat to 78 degrees and no lower. Do not use major appliances. Turn off all your lights. That's now with 2 to 3% of California vehicles being electric. What happens when they mandate 100% of them to be electric? They would have to expand that electrical grid by an exponential figure. I I can't even, you can't say double it. You can't say triple or quadruple. I mean, literally, exponential expansion would be required. They can't keep the lights on. Now. With two percent of the vehicles being being electric vehicles, but they want everybody to come home at four o'clock and plug their cars into the garage. And oh, by the way, you feel badly for the overwhelming number of Californians, far more than our homeowners who are renters in apartment buildings, where you've got you know how many how many units in a building? Fifty. Okay, you got fifty cars. Maybe some families actually have gas. Two cars because both parents have to work in the overwhelming um, uh, uh, cost of living state of California. Both parents have to work. Both of them need cars. Both need charged. I can charge them. I can charge them in these apartment buildings. You're going to have 50, 100 charging ports? What's that going to do to the grid? I mean, honestly, I, I just can't overstate it. These people want to run. These are the people that want to tell you that it's okay to tell your children that men can be pregnant. They want you to teach your kids that women can have penises and testicles. That's normal. These are the same people, the ones who are telling you we've got no electrical power and we're converting to all electrical cars. There's no... There's no explanation. There's no, there's no way to, 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 to explain in, in a manner that is common sensible how stupid the modern American Democrat is. I just, I, if somebody can explain that to me, somebody, anybody left of center listening to me right now can explain to me how you justify any of that. I'll take that call immediately. 
I'll take that call and I will listen intently. I want you to tell me how we're supposed to go to 100% electric vehicles by 2035, which is what they demanded. They literally passed a law signed by Gavin Newsom in California and 14 other states are either considering or already enacting similar laws saying they will outlaw the sale of, of internal combustion engines by 2035. All vehicles, all of them, must be electric by 2035, how they're going to handle that. And by the way, when you're done, when you're done answering that question, then answer this one for me. How does the building of millions, millions, and millions of electric car batteries help the environment? Given the fact that all of the electricity that will be required to run them and to charge them will be coming from coal and natural gas with a slight bit from nuclear energy. The same fossil fuels that you are pledging to get rid of will be needed more than ever. Not to mention, not to mention the obvious fact that the minerals, the uh, that that it takes to 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 acquire the resources that it takes uh, to build these batteries are going to have to be acquired in foreign countries like China, uh, in some African countries because we don't have them in in abundance here in North America. We are going to be beholden for the cobalt and the manganese and the lithium that is available in great resource or great quantities only in other countries. And in on other continents, we are going to be beholden to them to build all of these things. Explain that to me. Greenies, if you remember the gangrene movement, trying to kill fossil fuels as your president has declared that he would. I don't, I don't want to hear any more of these. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear this one. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. I want anybody who believes that to explain this to me. California is in the lead, can show the rest of the nation how it is done. Warning just coming in from CalISO, who runs the power grid in the state. They say they expect demand for electricity to outpace supply tomorrow. And they say that means rolling blackouts are likely. They've issued a flex alert from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. tomorrow night. And during a flex alert, again, you are asked to set your thermostat to 78 degrees or higher. Avoid using major appliances and turn off all unnecessary lights. It's rare that I am left speechless. Uh, the one thing I do is speak. But my goodness, I got nothing. I got nothing to truly explain how stupid these people are. How incomprehensibly and indefensibly stupid that they are. Uh, let's go to um, Mike, who's calling us from Akron. Mike, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you for waiting. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for your show. You're an important, important voice in Northeast Ohio. I, I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. It just, the progressive left is insane. And just the fact that Joe Biden has drawn down the oil reserves, strategic oil reserves, to the lowest point in, what, 50 years to artificially keep gas prices as low as they are is is 
the whole, everything, the whole electric grid in California, and it was just two percent of uh, electric cars uh, on the road in California, and they can't even, you know, I, I saw a picture, a meme or whatever, of a of a Tesla and toting a generator with gas cans. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> just perfectly sum up how insane the left is and their policies. I, and I completely agree with you about um, DeSantis. I love Trump. I love how what he stood. I love how he fought, how he taught Republicans to fight. And, and Republicans need to wake up and start fighting, uh, you know, especially after Labor Day here. It's time to take the gloves off and, and to get the message out. Ron DeSantis is such a, such a winsome warrior for conservative values, for truth, and for what's right. And I pray to God he runs and I pray to God Trump steps aside, does the right thing for the betterment of the country. The reason why Hillary Clinton lost was because her negatives were so high. People hated her so much. The Democrats even knew that she was tainted. And it's with Trump, I love him. I love the guy. I love what he did. But his negatives are too high. He's too much of a loose cannon. He's too much of a bully. People don't like bullies. But DeSantis... He's tough. He's tough as nails. Every bit as tough as Trump is, he's just smarter about politics. And you've got to be smart about politics if you're going to win. I pray J.D. Vance wins. I pray Oz wins. I pray that we just take over the Senate and the House and, and stop the insanity of the progressive left. But we've got to all step up. Thank you for all you're doing. That's all I want to say. Mike, you said a mouthful. That's a great phone call. Thank you for all of that. Um, yeah, I concur. Um I, I, I will never, ever, ever forget everything that Donald Trump did for this country in four years. Ever. It was some of the most remarkable accomplishments that we were able to experience. Uh, more than I thought ever possible, truly, under one president in four years. I mean, seriously. The things that he did to grow this country in all ways that a country can grow. Economically, militarily, culturally. I mean, honestly... Um, everybody benefited. No matter what color you are, no matter which sex you are, there's only two, um, no, matter, no matter who you are, you benefited under Donald Trump. Our, our economy was remarkable, gangbusters, energy in, uh, in, independence, a net exporter of energy. I mean, everything. I'll never forget it. And in a just world, in an adjust country, he would have had another, another four years to do even more good. Well, we know what happened. And now because it happened, and because of a whole host of other things, we're in a different place now. And Donald Trump might still have the same great ideas that he had when he was in, in, in the White House, but Mike is right. His negatives are so high that I just don't know that he can win. And if he did win... I know what they would do to him. We would have four years of getting nothing done because they would have at least two more impeachments drawn up. At least. There would be obstruction, the likes of which no one has ever seen before, other than the first four years he was president. And this would be that on steroids. He'd get nothing done. Now, if he runs and wins the Republican nomination... I will stand on the rooftops waving the Trump 2024 banner and campaign for him to the, to, to, the, to the end of my abilities. But I think there's a reason why the left is trying to goad him into running. 
I think there's a reason they're, they're trying to bait him. Why do you think Joe Biden gave that speech on Thursday night and specifically attacked MAGA Republicans? Why do you think he gave the speech in Milwaukee on Monday and specifically attacked MAGA Republicans? And more specifically, he changed the term to Trumpies. They are trying to trigger Donald Trump into making an announcement that he's coming back and he's coming for them because they want him to run. They want him to run because they believe that there's no amount of American moderates and centrists that will join on to his his uh, his cult of personality, that he will be limited only to the MAGA voters, and that they have more than enough to beat just MAGA voters. They know that somebody like a DeSantis is going to have a much broader appeal. He'll carry also the MAGA voters, but a whole lot more moderates who are more comfortable with his personality and his style than they could ever be with Orange Man Bad. They're trying to bait Donald Trump into running. They're trying to trigger him into making an announcement because they know that's their best chance. I think Ron DeSantis beats any single one of the Democrat uh, uh, Democrat candidates going away. Landslide territory. I think President Trump has a very, very hard time in that regard. You don't have to agree. I would love your expert analysis on that, however. I would love your civil conversation on that. 216-901-0945. However, we are going to the news and on the other side. ESG, what is it? How dangerous is it? How can you avoid it? Unwoke Investing with Jonathan Broadbent. Next, AM 1420, The Answer. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 1037 now. We continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, the answer. Just got my comment submitted in the public comment uh, uh, page, regulations.gov, against the changes to Title IX. We'll talk to Jack Windsor more about that coming up at uh, 1110 this morning. For now, though, I want to talk about investing. Now, I am not an investor. I am not a uh, an economist. I am not a uh, you know uh, a banker. Uh, I, I don't have any particular knowledge of investing. But what I do know is where I don't want my money going. What I do know is that if I am making an investment, I want it to be in something that I support and that I believe in, and not something that I don't. And that's why we're going to learn about ESG: environmental, social, and governance. What is ESG investing? I had not even heard about this until I started following the work of Jonathan Broadbent. Jonathan Broadbent is on the board uh, of the um, Protect Ohio Children organization. He is also a huge part of Ohio Ohio Value Voters. And he has been posting on his social media all kinds of extraordinarily important information, even making videos about ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance. You need to learn this, believe me. And Jonathan's been kind enough to spend a few minutes with us this morning. Jonathan, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Good. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back. So, Jonathan Broadbent, um, I did a little digging, and I found an article from Forbes, February 24th of this year. 
It is a glowing um, uh, story of, of the wonders and the virtues of ESG investing, about how you can help so many different aspects of this country that need to be assisted by investing your money in, in, in your mutual funds, into your IRAs, into, into whatever investments that you have, uh, making sure that your dollars go to organizations that support your vision. Environment. Um, this is. Let me just give you a quick little uh, taste of this, and then I want you to tell us your thoughts on it. ESG investing means investing in companies that score highly on environmental and social responsibility scales, as determined by a third-party independent campaign or excuse me, independent company and research group. At its core, ESG is uh, is about investing positive changes. I'm sorry, influencing positive changes in society by being a better investor. This says Hank Smith, head of investment strategy at the Haverford Trust Company. ESG investing assumes there are certain environmental, social, and corporate governance factors that impact a company's overall performance. By considering ESG factors, investors get a more holistic view of the companies they back, which can help mitigate risk and identify opportunities. The article goes on to talk about how ESG scores are calculated and then gives, again, glowing reviews of such investments, why you should choose ESG investing. So, Jonathan, I'm not going to read any more than that. I just want to get you let you educate people who don't know about this. I didn't know about this until you started talking about it. Um, give me your reaction to what you just heard from the Forbes uh, analysis of this and tell me, uh, tell me what I need to know. Yeah, I've heard a lot of articles in, uh, <laughs> that are similar to that one. Think of it like the Green New Deal only on steroids and coming in through the back door. I think the left figured out that there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. The Green New Deal sort of fizzled in public perception because smart, intelligent people balked at the whole concept. But ESG is a way of really pushing that into society tenfold and wrapping it up in, in, a, in a shield of, of uh, communism for lack of a better way of putting it. So at Unwoke Investing some time ago, we saw, let me, let me start with this because I'm going to cover a lot of ground. I'm going to try to do it really quickly because there's a lot to unpack here. But sure. there's actually a predecessor, kind of like SEL and, and some of the other things that we're seeing in schools. Um, there's a predecessor to ESG, which really is sort of innocuous. It, didn't, it wasn't all that harmful. It didn't represent... Uh, the, the dramatic uh, damage to markets and society that ESG does. The predecessor to ESG was something called SRI. That stood for socially responsible investing. You can imagine what that was. That was basically people that decided, uh, it gave the people the opportunity to decide they didn't want to invest in things like, let's say, uh, firearms uh, or tobacco or something if they were morally opposed to it. That's perfectly fine, and that's the way that the world should work. There should be opportunity for people to invest as they see fit, and whatever fits their sort of moral compass and social gauges. But ESG has taken that and flipped it on its head and is doing terrible things to, uh, to free markets and uh, very potentially to society as a whole. So what ESG does is it applies a completely different set of values to any possible investment. 
So I want to get, Bob, for a really quick second, I want to kind of get to the heart of what investing actually is. When you think of mutual funds or a newer version of them that are referred to as exchange-traded funds or other types of what I call pooled investments, what we the people are doing is giving our money to a manager. We're giving our money to a company and asking them, hey, will you watch this money for me? And we expect them to do a good job. And historically, companies, they may not do a great job, but at least there's a, a, an identifiable value system that they're following. You're able to look at the types of investments they're going into and see, okay, well, that makes sense. That maybe it didn't earn money last quarter or it didn't do well over a period of a year or years, and maybe we should change it. But I can see what they're after. ESG is different entirely. So when you look at a manager, like a mutual fund or something, you can see and you can read clearly. They, they'll say something like, our, our objective is to find large companies based in the U.S. that uh, have uh, significant earnings potential. That's sort of a hypothetical example of what they might say. And you'll watch them, and you'll see in the portfolio, in their investments, they have large U.S. companies that hopefully do well. ESG, when applied to investments, means none of that. None of that matters. We're not looking at what are referred to as fundamentals. So sorry if I bounce around a little bit here. Hopefully this all makes sense. No, I think you're doing fine. I, I, I understand it so far. Keep going. Excellent. So when you look at at the way that investing used to work, when there were stockbrokers and there were people that did some of their own individual stock selections, they might see a company that interests them. And they might look at the company and they look at something that we in finance call fundamentals. The fundamentals of the company are the identifiable tangibles of the company. Do they have a lot of patents? What does their management team look like? Do they have good market share? What are their competitors? Who are their competitors? How well are they doing? Do they have good um, a good profit and loss ratio? Are they doing well financially? Do they have good cushion? Can they weather the storm in a down market? All this stuff. And so for for the from the beginning of the stock market, the the mission of somebody managing somebody else's money was to look at all those things and make informed decisions about where it makes sense to put money. Now, that the predecessor, that socially responsible investing, that was reasonable because you could tell the manager, you, the, the Bob France family could have lots of investments and you personally or your family could go and say, hey, manager, I want you to keep managing my money, but I don't agree with... Um, uh, I don't agree with auto manufacturers, so eliminate them from my portfolio. That's fine. ESG takes all of those fundamentals and either eliminates them, making them irrelevant, or diminishes their value and puts them in this category of unimportance. And I'm going to give you a, a prime example. So we started looking at this and sort of unpacking ESG and what I call woke investing many months ago. And we, we took a look at the, the major money managers. We started with the really big ones that everyone talks about, and we pulled ESG reports 
for all of them. We have all of them downloaded as current as we can get, and we're publishing those. I can tell already that's not making me a big fan in, in the eyes of the woke left, but it's important that the public know about ESG and what it represents. So as a, a litmus test, as a starting point to define, okay, what's the wokest of the woke? What's the furthest left? And what are they doing? And how do we clearly define that for the public and use it as, a, as an example, as a benchmark? So I found something that actually scores the highest possible ESG score and has the name sustainable in the title from a company called BlackRock. It's the BlackRock, I've published it on social media and it's on the website, Um, but it's BlackRock Sustainable International, I forget the name off the top of my head. And we wanted to look, okay, so if they're far left woke, ESG, high ranking, what are they actually investing in? And we expected to find companies like that Solyndra from California that went out of business. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, battery uh, makers and, and wind solar farms and stuff. It's not what we found. We were mystified and we're finding examples over and over again. The top holdings of that mutual fund are three pharmaceutical companies two alcohol distributors, and one natural gas mining company. How in the world is that this far-left extreme example of, of woke ESG investing? I think that, that using that as an example, and that's just one of many, I don't think anybody should be happy with that. The, the, the left who I'm sure, assuming that these ESG investments are going into, I don't know, wind and solar and electric vehicles and stuff, they're probably going to end up awfully darn disappointed. And people on the right, we're, we're sort of mystified by what the actual investments are. So there's only one conclusion I can draw for now from these ESG managers, and that is using ESG as a metric to value voter uh, to, to value um, investments really only means one thing it's allowing the people who define ESG to pick winners and losers that makes sense some of it um, I think a lot of that does get a little bit confusing and it's almost almost circular uh, in in some ways when I again going to my own reading of ESG, again, by way of this Forbes uh, piece, for example, you know, it says, here's a closer look at the three criteria used to evaluate companies for ESG investing. One is environment, which you covered very well. It's Green New Deal on steroids, but in a back door. What kind of impact, it says, does a company have on the environment? This can include a company's carbon footprint, toxic chemicals involved in its manufacturing process, and st- there's that word, sustainability efforts that make up its supply chain. Two, social. How does the company improve its social impact, both with the company 
marketing and in the broader community. Social factors include everything from LGBTQ, equality, racial diversity in both the executive suite and staff overall with inclusion programs and hiring practices. It even looks how company advocates for social good in the wider world beyond its limited sphere of business. And then the last one, governance. How does the company's board and management drive positive change? Governance includes everything from issues surrounding executive pay to diversity and leadership, as well as how well that leadership responds to and interacts with shareholders. So, Jonathan, very, very, very broad thumbnail version of this that I heard you say is that, and and I'm sure I didn't hear it all very clearly because there's so many details that you made there, but I heard you basically saying that ESG investors are not concerned with the fundamentals of making the most money for you in your investments. They're more concerned with investing in companies that will indeed make these, uh, you know, these uh, these changes, if you will, or affect those changes to the environment, social, and the government and governance. Um, you know, first and foremost, that that is their concern rather than making money for the investor, uh, and that is what we should be greatly concerned about. So, th- again, that's just a layman's understanding of what you were just saying. Now, now, fill in the gaps for me if you can. Yeah, absolutely, that, and that's a great um, summation. The forgive me for all the level of detail. I've just spent so many months with my head immersed in all the details. <laughs> I'm still working on trying to find good ways of of putting that into meaningful, clear context. So, I, I want to say something at a high level about the objective of our team at Unwoke Investing. The the there are plenty of people out there that I'm going to assume don't really agree with the far-left woke agenda, however you want to define that. There are companies out there that are doing things that we, for lack of a better blanket term, I'm just going to call us all conservatives. We conservatives don't like. And there's a lot of talk about not shopping there, not traveling there, not, not, um, patri- uh, patronizing those companies and not giving them money. And that's great. But if we're also turning a blind eye to where our investments go, and that includes your 401k, your IRA, your brokerage account, if you have investments somewhere and you've turned the management of, the, of those investments over to a company and said, hey, you're better at this, I want you to manage this money on my behalf. I don't blame you. I don't, but you, the investor, I don't blame you for looking for a manager and looking for help because the world of investing can be fast paced and complex and very nuanced. But if you are conservative and you've turned your money over to managers to manage the money for you, the assumption for now that I would draw is that that they're probably left and woke. I'm saying that not to disparage an entire marketplace or industry. I'm just saying that all of the major managers out there have, seem to have drunk the Kool-Aid, and they are moving money. They're funneling our hard-earned investment dollars into far-left woke companies and causes. That's not a good thing. I'm, I'm not saying... Now, you'll see in all of our social media and the website and everything, my tagline, I came up with it, is defund the woke. It's called unwoke investing, defund the woke. I leave room in a real marketplace and an open, free market for people who are on the left to invest as they want to. 
And if they want to invest in wind, wind and solar and, and electric vehicles and everything, great, more power sure. to them. But what I don't agree with is sort of this hidden surreptitious value system that's applied to everybody almost universally funneling money into far left and i'll give you 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 read from a, a another great article talking about esg and just how wonderful it is it's all garbage but there's i'm going to reference another one that to me really stands out there was a recent article got about, uh, talking john, about just jonathan just to let you know i got about two yeah. minutes okay i'm going to speak quickly um, there was a recent article talking about $5.8 billion in new investments flowing into the Chinese economy. Under normal circumstances, the assumption we would draw is that investors and managers saw opportunity in China and put money there to invest. And that's great. That's free market. ESG and woke investing and this globalist mentality that we see from these managers indicates a different motive. What I think is happening is that lots of 401k and IRA dollars, lots of managers are putting money into economies where it's needed in order to prop them up and promote far left agenda. And they're also punishing, or they're artificially punishing, um, unwoke economies, economies that are, that are fighting back for individual liberties and freedoms like the U.S. So what we've done is several fold at Unwoke Investing. We're one of many out there that are starting to make our voice heard and fight back. We are putting the spotlight. We're creating transparency around ESG. We're releasing all kinds of reports, but also more importantly, we're publishing investment alternatives that we are suggesting people go into that represent Western values and free markets and American liberties if you will. Jonathan Broadbent is uh, is working very, very hard to try to try to help you um, make sure that your investments are not going to companies that you do not support and causes you don't support. Jonathan, I'm looking at your webpage through Substack, jbroadbent.substack.com uh, slash unwoke investing. Or you could just go to the, your search engine. Don't use Google, but go to a search engine and type in unwoke investing, and you'll see Jonathan's newsletter here the guidance launch uh this is tremendously important and you are willing to help people unwoke is free only people who like to have us help uh implement will pay very little but people can uh, indeed look at and uh and look at the advice that you are giving and look at the information that you have and then decide if they want to avail your services uh and i want to uh, i want to thank you for alerting us to this i had no earthly idea esg was a thing i had no idea that my managers may not be doing what's best in mo- in, uh, in my best interest for my own returns uh, or supporting with my money things that I support. Um, I had no idea that they would be doing things like this. So I want everybody to learn this. I want everybody to understand this and hopefully uh, make sure your money is going to places that you support and make sure that they are indeed putting your fundamentals of returns in front of their own political uh, agendas. So go to, uh, just do a little search for Unwoke Investing. I have it saved. I'm sorry, I should do it easier, more easily. I have it saved right now. It is listed at alwaysright.us in the From the Show section on the upper left-hand side. You'll see Jonathan Broadbent's name, and you will see a link to Unwoke Investing. So I urge you to take advantage of that. Uh, tap into Jonathan's knowledge and resources and research about this, and hopefully um, maybe make your investment experience a little bit better. Jonathan Broadbent, appreciate you very much. Thanks for everything that you're doing, my friend, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Thanks for having me, Bob. Take care. Thank you. Click on Jonathan's Substack page on Woke Investing. Go to alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, and we'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, underway now. At nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Wednesday, it's the seventh morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks again to Jonathan Broadbent. Don't forget that link is up on alwaysright.us right now. Click Unwoke Investing. And learn more about where your dollars are going. If you have them in funds, if you have them in stocks, if you have them in bonds, whatever the case might be, find out where your dollars are going and find out if they're going into places that you approve of supporting. So thanks to Jonathan and I, we welcome our regular Wednesday commentator at this hour, Jack Windsor. Once again, Jack is the founder and editor and writer and do-everything guy for the Ohio Press Network. He is also our State House correspondent for AM 1420. The answer, Jack Windsor, good morning. Good to have you back, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Thanks for choosing me this morning. It's always great to be with you and the 1420 family. All right, Jack. We talked last week about the corrupt leader of the Ohio Republican Party, in my opinion, uh, and that is uh, Bob Paduchik. We talked about how it was a successful August primary in the state central committee insofar as uh, there are enough votes, according to those who were pushing for such a thing, to change the leadership at the very next meeting of the Ohio Republican Party. Bob Paduchik, we spoke about this last week, was doing everything he can to try to stop that, to not have that vote, and to push it and delay it until January. What is the latest on this as he tries to buy himself some time, a stay of execution, if you will, at least in terms of losing his chairmanship of the uh, party, uh, in an attempt to perhaps try to uh, you know, curry some favor with some other voters uh, and flip them between now and January? What's the latest on that story? Bob, you did a great job of giving listeners the skinny on the situation. And really, the party's split. And I don't know if it's fair to, to polarize in two groups, but I'll say there's the Paducic people, and then there are the reformers. Now, those reformers want to have an election this Friday. They believe they have 34 to 40 people who are willing to replace Bob Paducic as chairman. And they've cited Ohio law and the party's permanent rules and, you know, that's where the controversy begins. Uh, party rules are seemingly contradictory. It appears 
Um, the reformers have a legal opinion, though, to justify their demand that nominations and elections must happen Friday. Paducic et al. have a legal opinion that supports their position to not hold elections this Friday. Now, what got thrown into the mix is Vice Chairman Brian Williams. Williams, if you remember, was asked by Paducic earlier this year to resign. Last week, he announced his intent to run to replace Paducic and said that Ohio law and party rules necessitate having a vote Friday. So we're at an impasse. I'm told by sources uh, the majority intends to vote down the agenda and replace it with one that would require an election. I'm also told that Bob Paducek sent a scathing email last night to Central Committee members about Brian Williams. Uh, I had Is my there any other kind, the- by the way? I'm sorry, Jack. Is there any other kind? If there's a comment or an email coming from Bob Paducek, one can just assume it's scathing because it's the only way he knows to do things. Sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, this isn't, well, you know, touche, and I don't want to come down on either side, but I will say this isn't the first time someone in, in the leadership team has sent what I would call a nasty gram to party members. Dave Johnson did it about committee members who were demanding answers to financial uh, statements and what they called missing money questions. Paducic did it previously about that same issue, and a member of the press out of Cincinnati who aired a TV report uh, on the Ohio Republican Party. And so, you know, just glancing at the email that went out, it is, uh, it's interesting. I mean, there are words like unethical conduct, bribery, defamation, FBI investigations, negligence, downright corruption, uh, that Bob Paducek is tying to Brian Williams and basically saying, look, we're 60 days before a statewide election in which our Republican candidates should sweep every statewide office and act with the conservative judicial majority in the House Supreme Court, and he's saying that Brian Williams is is really asking us to fire it ourselves and create a mess leading into the midterm elections. And has Williams responded to that? I have a phone call out to Brian Williams. Uh, I, he has not yet returned it. That doesn't mean that he won't. But uh, I'm certain that Brian and I will talk today. I've also reached out to Bob Paducek and uh, Ohio Republican Party <laughs> Communications Director Dan Lushek. But I will tell you, to their credit, they've at least sent me the announcement that Friday there is a meeting. I've let them know that, that there will be a couple of credentialed members of the Ohio Press Network there. And they were cooperative with us yesterday when we published uh, a story that they put out on Nan Whaley. And I would remind them, too, that, in my opinion, the current leader of the Republican Party is Donald J. Trump. And Donald Trump uh, welcomed us at, at his rally in Delaware, and I reached out to Taylor Budowitz yesterday when they announced that uh, the former president will be in Ohio this month and said, hey, you know, uh, we'll go through the process. Just want to let you know I'm going to have four people there. And he said, absolutely. So, um, you know, if Trump's given us the blessing, I would like to hear why the Ohio Republican Party wouldn't. Well, I think you know the answer to that, and it's because of the guy that needs to be booted from the Ohio chair uh, or from the party chair. I mean, look. Bob Paducic has decided only friendly media gets to cover his events. Only friendly media will do interviews with him. He won't come on this program. I have sent countless numbers of messages. We have inquired, I can't tell you how many times, over the course, literally hundreds, over the course of the last several months. He won't talk to you. He won't, uh, you know, if he has his way, he won't even allow you guys to be there. So, you know, again, I hate to borrow the Washington Post because I hate him so much, but democracy <laughs> dies in darkness, and, you know, he wants everything to be dark. Only friendly media will have access to him. 
So having said all of that, I think I've said it before, I believe Bob Paduchik to be wholly and irredeemably corrupt. He needs to go. But I don't know if this Williams character is the one to do it. How do you describe Williams? Is he is he a reformer because he wants Bob Paduchik to go? But because I ask that because it's my understanding that he voted to endorse Mike DeWine right along with Bob Paduchik. It would sound like they have a little bit in common there. So is he really the reformer here or is he just, you know, going to kind of continue things as usual if he were to be the, you know, the next chair? If I were to hazard a guess, uh, I would say that he's pro DeWine. And let me tell you why I think that way. One of the reasons that Bob Paduchik asked Brian Williams to resign was that during the state central committee meeting where they were going to endorse the entire slate of statewide candidates, Brian attempted to say, no, I want us to vote on each of these folks individually. Individually. And he did that. Yes, he did that because Brian Williams and Frank LaRose, it's no secret, are not buddies. They don't get along. And I think Brian wanted the opportunity for not only Frank, but others to kind of carry their own water. Now, the state central committee with uh, Bob in charge of the gavel decided against that. In my conversations, however, with Brian, he, he does seem to be pro-DeWine. He thinks Mike DeWine is a good leader. He thinks Mike DeWine has made good decisions. Now, interestingly, that's what Bob Paduchek points to in his email, uh, which to me is a little bit of kind of circular reasoning because Bob Paduchek is about as pro-Mike DeWine as they come. But I would, I would say yes. I think that Brian Williams is pro-Mike DeWine. Uh, is he establishment? I don't know. Um, based on my interactions with him, he seems like, uh, he is hell-bent on making sure that whoever was elected to the state central committee, in this case, it seems like conservatives who hold the majority, are able to hold an election and swap out the leadership according to uh, the people that elected them, what they want. Jack, speaking of pro-DeWine, I have to ask you about this. I had this story up on my webpage a couple of days ago. Um it's down now just because of new information in the news cycle. But the Daily Mail reported, and you probably saw this, Trump yeah. tells guests at Bedminster wedding of former aide and GOP House candidate Max Miller he will endorse Mike DeWine for governor, despite criticizing him multiple times. What do you make of that? You just said that uh, my, the, the, the leader of the Republican Party is Donald Trump. And you're yeah. right, of course. Um, what, do, what do you make of his willingness to connect his name to the extremely yeah. unpopular Mike DeWine, who, you know, who was Andrew Cuomo Ohio style in terms of his <laughs> lockdown policies? He was Gretchen Whitmer. He was, you know, he was Gavin Newsom. He was every big blue governor, uh, but in a red state of Ohio in, in what he did to us and the damage that was done is going to be felt for years to come. Economically, educationally, Mike DeWine had no justification for doing the things he did. Like I said, true conservatives cannot stand the man, and Donald Trump is about to put his name next to him. Why do you think that is? Well, let me give you my gut response, which is going to be highly unpopular, I think, with our listening audience. But my my gut response to the Daily Mail is this. Weddings should be about weddings. Max and Emily are kids. They'll have the rest of their lives in the public eye. Uh, and I wish that the Daily Mail would have respected that. That being said, politics is about choices. What choices do we have ahead of us? We have DeWine versus Whaley. We have Max Miller versus Dimer. 
we have in 2024 Trump and DeSantis versus whomever. So his, quote, total and complete endorsement, to me, uh, makes total political sense when we remember, because it's about choices, DeWine will win. If Trump, who endorsed Max Miller, went against DeWine, and remember the Ohio Republican Party loves Mike DeWine, what would that mean for Max Miller? And what would that mean for Trump? There, there, there is a door. No, there is a door number three here that we can walk through. He doesn't have to in, go against Mike DeWine. He doesn't have to endorse Nan Whaley for crying out loud. Of course, he can just sit by the wayside here and watch what happens happen. He didn't endorse in the primary when he could have made a difference. When he could have endorsed and should have endorsed Jim Renacci, he stay, stayed on the on the on the sidelines. Why would he put his name on the line here with an extremely unpopular? you know, Democrat-ish governor. I just, I mean, he could sit here and just watch it happen and then take no uh, no blame for it. I mean, my, 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 my belief is, in many cases, and you can tell me if you disagree, and that's okay, Jack, um, I think he likes to latch on to people that he knows are sure things and put his endorsement behind them so that he can add to the record. I'm 190 and 18. I'm 190 and 18 in my endorsements, and my endorsement's winning. He reads the tea leaves. He sees where things are going. He sees what the polling shows. He sees what the finances are for a candidacy, or for a campaign, rather. And he knows in a red state like this, there's no way Nan Staley is going to win, and Nan uh, Whaley is going to win anyway. But he wants to be able to say, another Trump win. Uh, I, I endorse Mike DeWine, and Mike DeWine won. And I, I, I don't know. I find it very, very off-putting, and I find it just a little bit disturbing that somebody that I do like and support for his conservative uh, principles and his leadership would, would put his weight and his name next to and behind Mike DeWine. I have a big problem with that. Yeah, it's kind of why we scoff at and hate politics and take it out on politicians sometimes, right? <laughs> I mean, truly, what you said just hit the bullseye. I believe it's about Donald Trump being able to say uh, something that national outlets pick up that can be proven. Hey, I bet on this horse and this horse and this horse. They all won. So my endorsement still matters. My word still matters. I am still the strongest, most influential figure in the GOP. That's important to him. Again, politics is about choices. He has a choice. He can be quiet. And if he is quiet, Maybe that helps him out marginally. But if he speaks up and talks about the people who are almost shoe-ins to win the races, he gives himself more credibility down the road when he's marketing himself uh, to be the GOP candidate in 24. Yeah, um, I, I just I have a problem with it. It's personal gain. It's not what's best for the party. It's not what's best for Republicans in the state of Ohio. It is exactly what you just said. It's for personal gain, and I do have a problem with that. And And, and quite frankly... You know, I, I, I have questioned Donald Trump's judgment when it comes to endorsements for a long time. I shouldn't say for a long time, for a lot over the last several months. You know, the Oz endorsement was one of the biggest shockers, I think, in this entire thing. The J.D. Vance endorsement, of course, now I support J.D. Vance in this race against uh, uh, Tim Ryan. But, but um, you know, I think he was not the first choice of a lot of Ohio conservatives who were stunned and shocked when, when he endorsed 
uh, J.D. Vance. Um, I think his endorsements are questionable a lot of times. I think his uh, judge of character is questionable a lot of times. And I think his willingness to put his name next to uh, Mike DeWine's here shows that he cares more about himself than he does about the actual cause. Um, and, and that's just my opinion because, like you said, he wants to be able to rack up another win, another little tally mark that says, I picked the winner here, I picked the winner here, ha-ha, um, look at me. And I just think that's wrong. Uh, last thing, Jack Windsor. I want to talk about Title IX. I've been teasing this uh, all morning long because I started talking about it uh, earlier uh, earlier in the program uh, as with Peter Kirstenau. Actually, he messaged me and talked about the fact that there are only five days left now. I thought it was more than that. But there are only five yep. days left in the public comment period over the proposed changes to Title IX that would expand uh, protection against discrimination against girls and equal opportunity and access for girls to equal opportunity for gender identity and expression and essentially open up shower rooms, uh, locker rooms, uh, various places of undress and places of privacy for girls to biological males as well. So uh, I know you're working on a story for this. What do you got? So this story is going to be uh, a powerhouse story. It's co-written by Lisa Logan, uh, the Utah mom, I think, who's been on your show and the social emotional learning advisor uh, to Utah United. And Aaron Friday, a liberal attorney from California, uh, a mom, and somebody who's actually, um, you know, pro-LGBTQ, it'll be interesting because they have a lot to say about Title IX. And the crux of it is this. The initial premise of Title IX prohibited sex discrimination in education programs and activities receiving federal financial assistance. But the Biden administration announced in late June new rules that will dramatically expand the scope of Title IX to include, quote, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. So we're going to dive into its implications, right? Um, will it make upholding biological reality a form of sex-based harassment? Will it create a head-on collision with parents' rights? The new regulations would require K-12 schools to support socially transitioning, transitioning children to a different gender, sometimes without requiring notice to parents. Um, will it require schools to open up their privacy facilities, as you just alluded to? Will it jeopardize girls' and women's athletic and educational opportunities? Uh, will it threaten religious freedom and free speech in favor of gender indoctrination? Think about what uh, the, the, the inclusivity push here. What if you're a white Christian and you go to a school with these policies, do you feel included? Do you feel respected? Do you feel honored? So, um, you know, the public has a right to comment on the proposed rule changes. The deadline, as you mentioned, for public comment is September 12th. We'll include in the article direction on how to file public comment. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're doing that. I, I actually have that link to my webpage already now in terms of how to file the public comment, only because there's only five days left, as we talked about here. And the goal here of the public comment, in your opinion, Jack, would be what? So I think, in theory, the goal is when the public provides comment, input on these proposed rule changes, that the federal government is supposed to read, consider, and respond to those things. So the idea is, look, if we create enough, comments, then that will slow this ship down. And, you know, maybe the rollout will be after the November uh, midterms. Maybe the rollout will be closer to the 2024 presidential election. People who are really adamant about filing these comments and responses are really trying to slow down the train of these Title IX changes being implemented across the country. Just to be clear for listeners, it was a ship 
that he wanted to slow down. A ship, as in boat, giant boat, ship to be slowed down and not something else that you may have thought you heard. Uh, I'm glad you used train the second time around. That way there's no ambiguity. Jack Windsor, terrific (laughs) analysis, as always. Thank you, my friend. Uh, We'll look forward to that piece. Let us know when it's out. We'll get that shared on alwaysright.us as well, and we'll talk to you next week. Bob, thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor. Uh, editor and founder of the Ohio Press Network, joining us. We'll take a time out now. Come back. Our last segment will be for some phone calls. If you dial them up right now, 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare simple. Increasingly clear that looking forward with the COVID-19 pandemic, in the absence of a dramatically different variant, we likely are moving towards a path with a vaccination cadence similar to that of the annual influenza vaccine, with annual updated COVID-19 shots matched to the currently circulating strains for most of the population. He's going out with a bang, isn't he? Fauci's leaving in November, but he wants you to know that everyone in America will need a yearly COVID shot for the rest of your lives. Everyone will need a COVID shot just like the influenza shot. The question is, will it be voluntary like the influenza shot, or will they still be pushing for mandates? Hey, hold on a second. It's 2034, but you do remember 14 years ago in the pandemic of 2020, right? Yeah, that COVID is still out there, and it's still dangerous, man. Get your shot or you're fired. (laughs) It sounds crazy, but we are talking about Dr. Fauci. We are talking about the federal government that had let this guy establish policy, that let big pharmaceutical companies, the, the drug cartels, known as Pfizer and Moderna, establish policy so they can become multi-billionaires. Don't laugh at it. It's legitimate. He actually said that. That wasn't a made-up thing. It's not a bit. He said you're going to be taking these shots annually for the rest of your life. The question is, is is it going to be mandatory? Let's go back to the phones. We're going to go to uh, my friend Will in Houston, Texas. Hey, Will, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. What's going on, my friend? Hey, man, how you doing, buddy? Man, that 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 Fauci stuff, boy, that's <laughs> that's that's insane, dude. Hey, real quick, Bob, man, I I I was debating calling. I wanted to call you, man, about two two three weeks ago mm-hmm. with the conspiracy conspiracy theory, and this is why I was debating it. But when I heard you say something this morning, I had to call. I've been saying for the past two, almost month or so, that these people want Trump to want to run. I've been saying it. I've been saying it on Twitter, and and I and I didn't I didn't want it to sound like a crazy conspiracy theory, but I, and just hear me out. This is this is my thought. I could be wrong. It's two left shoes, but I, I don't you. think that there's going to be any kind of conviction. I don't think there's going to be any kind of indictment from this whole uh, Mar Lago thing. I think, I think, like you said, I think all of this stuff is being done. It's just my opinion. I think all of this stuff is being done to go Trump in to run him because these people they understand his personality. They understand he has a way. If you hit me, I'm going to try to hit you five times harder. Personality. I don't care about the party. I don't care about anybody else. This is about me, 
and I think that they understand this. There's a reason why the Democrats poured all this money into all of these, I guess, quote-unquote election deniers. You know, that's a whole other argument. But yeah. but these people, they, 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 their every move is a calculated step. They know what they're doing, and, and, and everything is being done for a reason. And I truly believe, I believe that this whole FBI thing uh, is, is solely... And like I said, I was going to call and tell you this, but I say, man, that sounds like a conspiracy, a crazy conspiracy theory. But I truly believe that a lot, a lot of this stuff is being done to trigger him to go to men, knowing that um, DeSantis is a much better, a much more polished politician that they would have a harder time to run against. I think so, too. And I know that that kind of runs counter to what polling shows, including straw polls down there in your home state of Texas. They had the, the, the Dallas CPAC straw poll. They had the one in Orlando. And, and he clobbers DeSantis in a primary uh, a straw poll every time, 70% to 20-some percent. Um, so you, one would think that you know he would be the best chance to win. But that's within the MAGA bubble. That's within the true, hardcore, Trump-supported conservative bubble. Those who are in the moderate wing of the party or just centrists altogether who aren't even Democrats that have to be pulled in to win a national election are not going to come along um, you know, if he's, if he's continuing to be outlandish. And, and I and think the last... left knows that very, very well. They know full well that, he's the, you know, that, that he can't beat them unless he mellows and pulls some, some, some moderates into the, into the fold. Go ahead. And one, one last thing, Bob. They also know that... that... Uh, their base, so they know about their base, but but they know people because of how the media has done, and, and we just have to we just have to face the facts. The media has the power, and so the media has made it to the point where people will crawl over broken glass, butt naked, covered in gasoline, to vote against Trump. Bingo. Sadly. Exactly. Sadly, Not, that's the truth. That's the truth. Not only will they do that, they will cheat. To, exactly. to, to, to deny Donald Trump. They will crawl across Britain, glass, all this, and then if that still is a, that's a, doesn't work, they'll cheat. They will absolutely defraud the election. Uh, and thank you for the call, my friend. I'm out of time. If that's what it takes to stop Trump, nobody else will, 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 will generate that type of opposition the way President Trump does. And that's sad, and I hate it because he's done so good for the country, but that's the reality of it. Thanks, everyone, for a great show today. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.